I'd like to invite the congregation to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. I'll be reading verse 35. Do you not say, four months more, and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Our brother Dean will bring us this morning's message. Are we sleepwalking saints? Good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. I shudder to think that I might be a sleepwalking saint. I ask you the same question. Are you a sleepwalking saint? Do you have your invitation to the great wedding? Or have you laid it aside? Do you remember receiving it? A man was walking towards Jerusalem. It was Tuesday of Passion Week, and the roar of the crowd had just gone away. He knew that he was going to die in four days. Yet he steadfastly went toward Jerusalem, says Scripture. The whole nation and the city had been in an uproar over these events of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. When he was walking toward the cross, he knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to die in just a few hours. He was going to Jerusalem in the traditional way of the time, much different than our day. The kings of that time usually rode into their cities and towns on a donkey. This was a sign of peace in their world, implying king of peace. As scripture tells us in John 12, 12 and 13, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Isaiah, that old prophet, had predicted this. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Of his increase in his government, there shall be no end. The people witnessing this event depicted in John 12 would never forget this scene. Jesus the Messiah riding on a yaki, people shouting, Hosanna, putting down their palm branches. Certainly the poor and the downtrodden that he had encouraged were there. The sick that he had raised were probably there. I suspect that even some of the dead people that Jesus had raised were there. The Roman soldiers were just very quiet. And then some Greeks who had traveled far, very far, came to the disciples of Jesus with these immortal words, we would see Jesus. John 12, 21. When Jesus heard those words, it was like heavenly music to him. Just hours before he was to die, it was like the first blade of grass in the spring. His offer of salvation had spread even to the pagan world of that day, and it warmed his heart as he thought of the cross ahead of him. This was the first drop of water in an ocean of souls to be saved. He could now visualize a huge harvest of sinners for his heavenly kingdom. 
And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Those that heard it thought, finally, he is going to tell us about his plan about the earthly kingdom to come, about the revolution and the overthrow of the Roman rule, which was over them. But he does not. On this occasion, he says, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The disciples liked that word, thinking he would finally announce the overthrow of the Roman bondage. This was Jesus' last public discourse, a momentous occasion. He said these words recorded in John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. We well understand that at the cross event, Satan's doom was sealed. He was referring to this event, of course. The disciples and the people listening were shaken to their core. Jesus, what are you saying here? You've just ridden into the capital as a king. The whole city of Jerusalem is drawn to you as though you were a king, now you are saying that all the universe will be drawn to you when you're crucified on a cross? This was not just a man, this was God. What is he doing here? Why is God going to be on a cross? It was because his created ones deserved to be there and he was to take their place. He takes my place. While he was on the cross, I was certainly on his mind. As descendants of Adam, we inherit sin and eternal loss. But because of the cross, Jesus takes our place and gives us eternal life. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Isaiah reminds this as this ugly fact in Isaiah 64, 6. Our very tears need washing by the blood of Christ. By saying, now is the judgment of this world, Jesus refers to his cross event by saying, the prince of this world will be cast out. Jesus refers to the final destruction of Satan and the evil forces forever with the saying, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Jesus is saying that everyone born has the author of, offer of salvation. Here is the great invitation. Have you opened your mail yet? Have you found this in the pages of Scripture for yourself? Have you received it? Do you have it? Someone has said salvation is in the air if we just reach out and grasp it. Jesus, during his life on earth, told stories, parables of salvation. There is a verse of Scripture that is just, to me, mind-boggling. It is found in John twenty-one twenty-five, and every time I read it, it really moves me. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, the which, if they were to be written, every one, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. <laughs> so I have to suppose that there's hundreds, if not thousands of more parables that we don't know about, and hundreds and thousands of more miracles that we don't know about. Perhaps so many people were raised from the dead that we couldn't even imagine it. 
If this verse is true, that's what I have to imagine. What a statement. Perhaps John did not have enough papyrus paper or ink to record all that he saw and witnessed. Do we have enough of, this, of his recorded parables about salvation that we have no excuse? I think we do. He told many parables, but two of them stand out like jewels and are so gripping that you cannot get away them out of your mind once you read them. It's about your name being written literally in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is well known as the parable of the Great Supper, Luke 14, 16 to 24. Then he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, all things are now ready. And they all went with one consent and began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I think Jesus was telling this parable with a twinkle in his eye. You see? So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. Heaven is big enough, isn't it? And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. My friends, I think that's happening right now on the waves of radio and the satellites in the sky going to billions of people. This message is going to billions of people, not millions, multiple billions of people as we speak. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. My friends, their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Come, for all things are now ready. Now it does not say a few things, or many things, or some things. It does not say in a short while it will be ready. No, he says all things are now ready. When Jesus says it is finished, and he died and rose again and ascended to heaven, he meant exactly what he said. All things are now finished. When, the, when he cried out on the cross, it is finished, he meant exactly that. It was done, it was finished. We can add nothing to his salvation. Come for all things are now ready. It's a very fateful statement. Now we find a tremendous surprise. All that were bidden started to make excuses. This is not how it usually is in life. We enjoy going to a banquet. They all with one consent begin to make excuses. The first one said, I bought a field, I must go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Well, what person would buy a field without looking at it first? And that was a twinkle in Jesus' eye. The second one said, I've bought a yoke of oxen, I must go and see them. I pray thee have me excused. Which one of us would buy a yoke of oxen without seeing it? The third one, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Well, which wife would not love to go to a banquet? These were only excuses, totally false excuses. The field would not have run away. It would still have been there if that person had gone to the banquet. The wife would not have run away, I hope. 
she probably would have loved to go out. The yoke of oxen would have still been there. Jesus was saying religious people will miss out on the kingdom of God because they are so preoccupied with their life and with less important things in salvation. Most of us do not have the courage to participate in outrageous sins, you see. Jesus is telling us here that the great sinners are not the great sinners as we know them. Many of us are preoccupied with many things. The great sinners are those who are preoccupied with anything less than the gospel and salvation. Often the good replaces the best. So we find respectable sins, you see. God either matters tremendously or he does not matter at all. To be preoccupied with anything less than God and his gospel and salvation is to be in a most dangerous position. It is most interesting to notice that none of the villains in Christ's parables are very villainous. This is shocking. Jesus told a parable about a rich fool in Luke 12, 16 and onward. The rich fool was not an atheist. The man planned to build barns to hold as many goods. Nothing wrong with that. He was a good financier. Nothing wrong with that. He was planning for the future. Nothing wrong with that, is there? His problem is that he was too preoccupied with his wealth. He left God out of the picture. God was not part of his planning. Jesus said, O thou fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. He was a lost man. His name would not be in the Lamb's book of life. And so the parable says that the king is angry, he is hurt, he is sad for those people who chose the way they chose. And he tells the servants to go out into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done. And still there is room. And the Lord said to his servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and the byways and compel them to come in. What a word picture in scripture. A word picture of the last days of earth's history. And I believe that is right now. Compel them to come to my house, that my house may be full. But none of those men which were invited shall taste of my banquet, says Jesus. What solemn words. Invited guests had chosen their own destiny. May I remind you that this parable is one of the last gospel messages as spoken in Revelation 14, the three angels' messages about worshiping God and giving the gospel to the entire earth. In Revelation 18:1, this light shall light the entire earth. The parable is one of the end of all things, of judgment. It is possible that someday the lame and the maimed and the blind and the poor will take my place at the banquet supper. Is that possible? But the good news is there's no competition here. There's room for everyone. We are all invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we should understand that Jesus said, Come for all things are now ready, not tomorrow. The most important part of this parable is the statement we have been repeating, all things are now ready. There are many surprises in this story. The servants did not ask the lame and the maimed to give an offering. <laughs> they did not test them to see how strong they were. They did not look for the most handsome and beautiful people. <laughs> the people who missed out on the supper were those who had advantages, those who were lost. We find their abilities went against them. 
Now turn this over to the other side. Their very weaknesses, their inadequacies were advantages. Why? Because they knew they were lost. They knew that they needed help. Put so beautifully by Paul in Hebrews 11.34, out of weakness were made strong. He also said in 2 Corinthians 12.9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What an encouragement that should be for us. The rich did not respond to the invitation of the king's supper. The wealthy did not come. The strong did not come. The handsome did not come. Those with privileges did not come. Jesus told this story because it has application to each of us. To whom much is given, much is required. What fools we are at times. We worship the earthly, temporary things. The people who sat down at the feast to eat were the poor, the ugly, and who gladly, joyfully came to the invitation. What a surprise from God. The world says, blessed are the rich and the gifted. But Jesus says, blessed are they that seek his righteousness. The gospel is full of surprises. God makes the way easy for those who have nothing, but it is hard for those who have need of nothing in their own eyes. They do not see how wretched and poor and blind and miserable and naked that they really are. Do we gather up all our crumbs to bring to God's dinner? How would you like it if you invited people to your dinner and someone brought moldy bread? Someone else brought spoiled food. Maybe somebody brought some sour milk. Do you and I bring our crumbs of righteousness to God? No, God says, come as you are. All things are now ready. It is done. It is finished. We just... Come to Jesus as we are. And by coming to Jesus, then we're changed. As we come to him, we are changed into his glory. In the first Adam, we all have sinned and are sinners. In the second Adam, we all have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Jesus must have thought this theme was very important for salvation because he told a similar story in Matthew 22. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, that they would, but they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage." But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. And when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy Another way of saying it is they didn't have the robe of Christ's righteousness around them. Go ye into the highways, as many as ye shall find, and bid them to come to the marriage. So those servants went into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. 
And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. He saith unto him, Friend? He called him friend. How camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Someday when we stand before the Lord, may it be that none of us are speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness, for there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Then the parable turns rapidly to each man's decision to accept God's invitation or reject it. It tells us of a man who came to the wedding with his own righteousness. He brought his moldy bread to help God prepare his supper, you see. He brought his own righteousness. He did not think he needed Christ's robe of righteousness. God had a terrible surprise for him. He was bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness. His name would not be in the Lamb's book of life. The cross and the resurrection of our Lord are the key events of history, along with the Lord coming in the heavens soon. Taking the cross from the Christian is like blotting the sun from the sky. It is only when we see ourselves in the light of the cross and our hearts are broken and we fall down before him. We do not bring our moldy bread or our own righteousness, as did the man in the parable. We just bring our broken hearts. Jesus did not come on a goodwill visit to earth. He came to save us. When he began his ministry and John baptized him in the muddy Jordan, when he came up out of the water, he was not announcing a goodwill visit. Our Lord died a perfect offering for the sins of the world. The heavens were rent, and the voice of God said, This is my beloved Son, and the Holy Spirit came down. Then when he went down into death at the cross, the sacrifice was accepted, and you and I have eternal life. And according to 1 John, over and over and over, we have it now. Our debt was paid by Jesus when he died on the cross. This is why Jesus told two stories of invitation to wedding feasts, banquets, and announced that all things are now ready. When we really see that God was on the cross, coming from heaven's eternal throne to hang there, that the Lord of glory, who rose from that tomb, only then do we cry out as Isaiah did in Isaiah 6, verse 5. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The most wonderful invitation human ears could hear. Jesus says to us twice in these parables, Come, for all things are now ready. In the closing words of Scripture, he tells us again in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The greatest invitation we'll ever receive is the scripture invitation for the eternal life that Jesus offers us. No place for moldy bread. Eternal Father, we come here as sinners saved by grace. Lord, help us to always remember that until we see you face to face. And Lord, our hearts long 
to be reunited with those that have gone ahead of us. We long, Lord, to walk the streets of gold with our loved ones. And again, we think this morning, of, especially of Clark and Jim, May that day come soon. Amen and amen.